listener exclusive. When it comes to larger-than-life entertainers, it's hard to find anyone to rival the man they called Meatloaf. He was a global entertainment icon, loved by generations. Meatloaf died last night with his family by his side. He was 74. The world has already lost one of its most dynamic characters in 2022 with the death of singer and actor Meatloaf. The ultimate testament to the man born Marvin Lear Day was the fact that his 1977 album Bat Out of Hell remains the highest-selling album in Australian history. It's sold close to 1.8 million copies here in Oz over the last 45 years, putting the album just ahead of John Farnham's Whispering Jack. That means something like one in every 17 homes owns Bat Out of Hell. So let's all dust off our vinyl copies to relive the glory days of Meatloaf. Hi, this is Meatloaf and I'm in your neighbourhood and this is rock and roll. Over his career, Meat would sell over a whopping 100 million albums as well as starring in 65 movies, including Fight Club, Wayne's World, Spice World and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Let's take a look back at Meat's legacy. Marvin was born in Dallas, Texas in 1947 and earned his future stage name when a football coach yelled... Hey, Meatloaf! He also had the acting bug, starring in high school stage productions and going on to balance both his loves throughout his career. Oh, about oh, 16 years ago? Yeah. Playing football. Um, not soccer, but, but American, yeah. football. American football. American yeah, football, yeah. Pass, throw, kick, punt, <laughs> that kind of thing. And they tagged me with that name and uh, just stuck. In the late 60s, Meat moved to Los Angeles and formed a band called Meatloaf Soul who'd open up for acts including Pink Floyd, The Who and Janis Joplin. The band changed their name many times. At one point, they were called Popcorn Blizzard. Meat's breakthrough came when he joined an LA production of hippie musical Hair, and that led to an album in 1971 released on Motown Records with his Hair co-star, female singer Sean Murphy, also known as Stoney. In 1973, Meat cracked Broadway, performing Hair in New York. It was there he met a man who would change his life forever. Young songwriter Jim Steinman was obsessed with writing musicals with epic, grandiose songs and relocated from LA looking for his own big break on Broadway. Jim was hunting for the right voice who could deliver the overblown theatrics he wanted in his music. When Meatloaf auditioned for Jim's musical More Than You Deserve in 1973, a future million-dollar-selling partnership was formed, which was lucky because Meat was getting paid $125 a week to be in More Than You Deserve. They take a while to make their breakthrough album because Meatloaf had another iconic pop culture moment to take part in first. At the end of 1973, Meat found himself in the original LA cast of The Rocky Horror Show, a cult musical which scored terrible reviews from the critics. He'd soon later reprise his role of Eddie for the movie version of the musical The Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that was released in 1975. Around this same time, Jim and Meat were working on a comedy roadshow tour with John Belushi. And when they weren't on stage, they were refining the songs that would wind up on Bad Out of Hell, a record they first started plotting in 1972. It actually began life as a rock musical called Neverland, which updated the story of Peter Pan. That morphed into a bombastic album inspired everything from German composer Wagner to Bruce Springsteen, still keeping the striking imagery and narrative of the musical. However, they struggled to find a record company who would take a risk on the look and sound of Meatloaf. And Jim Steinman was seen as an unknown quantity. Even Bat Out of Hell's producer Todd Rundgren was shocked they landed a deal. Every other producer probably looked at it on its merits and said, well, first of all, the songs are too long. We got no singles. 
Second of all, he's a big fat guy, you know, and the girls aren't going to like him. And so it's, can't sell him on the basis of that. He's not Bruce Springsteen, obviously. But all of those things in the end turned out to be the, you know, what made it unique and different and also what um, once Meatloaf got exposed, especially through like MTV, he was one of the early MTV artists. One of the things that made people want to come see him live was to see this Pavarotti kind of guy sweltering all over the stage and stuff, you know, with a little girl head, you know, a fraction of his size on his leg, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, something of a spectacle. Record labels passed on Bad Out of Hell. CBS's Clive Davis, the man who'd signed Springsteen and Billy Joel and would later discover Whitney Houston, was unimpressed. Meat once wrote in his autobiography that Clive told him, actors don't make records. Todd Rundgren had basically funded the album's recording himself, although Bad Out of Hell would become one of the highest selling and most profitable albums of all time, Todd would later sell his rights to the album to buy a house in Hawaii. It was Springsteen's guitarist, little Stevie Van Zandt, who'd play the album for Cleveland International Records, which was owned by major label CBS. However, the parent company hated Bad Out of Hell. And when it was released in October 1977, it landed with more of a whimper than a bang. The songs were seen as way too long for radio, but Meatloaf, he had a backup plan. Inspired by his movie work, Meat made the record label fund four videos to promote the album. The songs Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth and Bad Out of Hell. If you talk to a million people and they listen to the song, they're going to have a million different images. It's like Stairway to Heaven, the Led Zeppelin song. Everybody, it's an image song. When you hear it, you, 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 everyone pictures their own stairway to heaven. I don't know what yours looks like. I know what mine looks like, you know. And that's what happens when you have Paradise by the Dashboard Light. When you have two out of three ain't bad. You, if you want to sing the song, you have a vision of these two people or you have a vision of the person you might be singing it to or you have a vision of whatever. And they're, all the people are different. It's like sexual fantasies in a sense. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it's like. They're all fantasies. They're all Individuals movie. It's like when you go to a movie and you see a movie and, and it's like, you know, the story's continuing, you know, even though they do end it for you. But you, you go, well, I wonder what happened. So in your mind, your mind kind of creates this whole other. Yeah. You know what? I bet they do this. And, and the person sitting next to you goes, no, they don't do that. They do this. And that's what this music is. It is visual images that come off speakers. And and so that's what you get out of it. That's what you get out of it. When they couldn't get any love on radio, the dramatic clips were flamboyant and extravagant enough to wind up on TV. And Australia was one of the first countries to embrace the videos, getting major exposure on the TV show Countdown. When he was promoting Bad Out of Hell 3 in the 90s, Meat said this country was always special to him. Australia has always been incredibly lucky for me because the first country outside of the United States to start really playing Bad Out of Hell was Australia. Hi, this is Meatloaf, and you're watching Countdown 83, coast to coast, across Australia, and that's big. Before England, before, was Australia. The first place that anything for love was number one was Australia. Their friend John Belushi got Meatloaf on Saturday Night Live in 1978, and Bat Out of Hell exploded around the world. 
It's now sold 43 million copies globally and in the 90s was selling 60,000 copies a week in the US alone. But the success didn't come without its problems. I'm Dave Williams and you're listening to Behind the Hits, a special episode reliving the life and legacy of Meatloaf. Still to come, Meat has a breakdown and then an almighty comeback with an epic number one single. Meat, who said he was living life, turned up to 11 while Bad Out of Hell took over the globe, turned to drugs and alcohol to cope with the sudden fame and promotional pressures. So when Jim Steinman wrote the follow-up album, he found that Meat had lost his voice due to exhaustion and good old-fashioned rock excess, and that led to a nervous breakdown. While Meat rested, Jim got to live his own fantasies and recorded the album himself, releasing it in 1981 as Bad For Good. The album also spawned a hit single, Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through. In subsequent years, Meatloaf would record nearly every single track on Bad For Good for later records, including his own version of Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through, which Jim produced for Bad Out Of Hell 2 in 1993. And the prolific Jim, no slouch. While Meat was recovering, he wrote him another album, Dead Ringer, which was also released in 1981. And while it was technically a follow-up to Bad Outta Hell, fans would have to wait a long time for an actual sequel to the classic album. Dead Ringer was a modest hit compared to Bad Outta Hell sales, with the most popular track being the title track and a duet with Cher. However, the 80s were about to get even more tough for Meat. He and Jim Steinman They were battling record company politics and even claimed they were never told exactly how many copies of Bad Outta Hell were sold. Meat had a contract to release a new album and he claims Jim gave him two new songs for it, but the record label didn't want to stump up Jim to produce them. So Jim took those two songs and gave them to other artists. Australian band Air Supply were handed Making Love Out of Nothing at All and that was kept at number two in the US by another song Jim gave away, Total Eclipse of the Heart an American number one for Welsh singer Bonnie Tyler in 1983. While Meat said both songs were earmarked for him, Jim would later state that Total Eclipse of the Heart was only finished after he'd heard Bonnie Tyler's powerhouse voice. So Meat, he had to pull together 1983's album Midnight at the Lost and Found without input from his right-hand man, Jim Steinman, and the result was a commercial disaster. Meat continued releasing albums in the 80s with little success, occasionally recording a Steinman song. Another artist had already released, hoping for a second-hand hit. Plus, he was trying to get his career and finances back on track by continually touring live as he didn't write the songs and didn't get a big slice of the royalties, so he had to rely on concerts for his income. Success is a funny word. I, I, don't, I don't measure success the way that people want to measure success. I don't think of it in that term. The only way you can ever determine success is did you go in and did you do the best that you possibly could do? And when you and when you listen back to it, are you you know, did you did you well did you sacrifice? Going back to integrity and credibility, did you sacrifice your integrity in any in any turn? And I'll fight tooth and nail for it. I mean, but there'd be no point in doing it unless you didn't want to be better. There's no point. It's like I want every show to be better than the night before. If I did a great show, I hate doing a really good show because I know the next night, oh man, how, what am I going to do now? But that's the betterment of it. And once that your mind ever stops and that you're ever satisfied, I think that's when you have to quit. The, the minute that, you ever, that I ever catch myself doing anything for money, then I'll, I'll stop because that's no reason to ever do anything. But then came whispers in the late 80s that Jim Steinman and Meatloaf were working on an official sequel to Bad Outta Hell. 
Now, Jim Steinman had assembled a female band, Pandora's Box, whose album Original Sin came out in 1989. It contained a song called It's All Coming Back to Me Now, which would become a hit for Celine Dion in 1996, but when Pandora's Box Project was a spectacular flop, Jim Steinman threw himself into Bad Out of Hell too, planning on making it even more extreme and theatrical than the original. Bad Out of Hell, Jim and I spent a great deal of time at the piano. Before we did Bad Out of Hell, we spent a great deal of time just doing piano and voice. And I said, if we're going to do another one, that's how we're going to do it, because that's how we did Bat. That's how I'm most comfortable doing it. That's what I didn't do. The two records that I did prior that, that, that I've really liked and I thought were good records, that's how I did them. Bad Attitude, when I was working with Paul Jacobs and Sarah Durkee, uh, I did with Paul and Sarah at the piano. We wrote things at my house. They, they would leave with ideas. That's how I work with Jim. Uh, I'd say, Jim, let's restructure this. I'd say to them, write this kind of storyline for me. Do this, do that. They would go, they, Jim would write it or they would write it. We'd sit and work at the piano. That's how Bat of the Hell went down. Jim said they called it Bat 2 because they explored themes from the first record. Meat was a bit more honest and said they called it Bat 2 in order to sell more records. Both men were right. Bat Out of Hell 2 was a mix of brand new songs, reclaimed songs and songs Jim had been squirrelling away for an eventual sequel. They launched the record the only way they knew how, with an epic single that clocked up 12 minutes. I Would Do Anything For Love, But I Won't Do That was unlike anything else around at the time. Even edited down to five minutes for the radio, the powerful power ballad became a global number one. An impressive feat for what Meatloaf admitted was always a reluctant single. I hate singles. (laughs) I hate them. I don't hate them, but I hate them because I don't make singles. I make I make whole pieces. It's like it's one big piece, this, and it's just this thing, and it's this little world. And when you pull things off of it, it's like, and I try to, like anything for love, I, when we released anything for love, they didn't want to put that out first. I said, you have to. You have to put out anything for love first because that kind of tells you that the, the, the whole story of, of this record, you ha- sits up the, the feeling of the record. Sure, Bonnie Tyler and Melissa Etheridge were at one point all earmarked to be the female vocalist in the song. In the end, it was an unknown singer working with Jim Steinman, Lorraine Crosby, who recorded the guide vocals which were left on the final product without getting any credit. Bat 2 went on to sell 15 million copies worldwide, returning Meat and Jim Steinman to the top of the charts. Not bad for a project many in the music industry thought would be a joke in the era of Nirvana and grunge dominating the charts. Meat and Jim soon went their different ways again, while Meat would continue to use more of Jim's older songs from earlier records for 1995's Welcome to the Neighbourhood. But Meat then put recording on hold to tour heavily in the 90s as well as taking key movie roles. They included rock comedy Wayne's World and pop comedy Spice World with the global sensations The Spice Girls. The UK female pop group actually hooked up Meat and his goddaughter with tickets to see them. My goddaughter named Harper Cullen wanted to go see The Spice Girls really bad. So we got in touch with them. And we got backstage passes, and we got this private box. They gave it to us. You ready? Who was in the box next to us? 
Beckham and Cruz. <laughs> she didn't know who Beckham was, but she knew who Tom Cruise was. And so then, after the show was over, we went backstage to this little reception area, and, and the Spice Girls came out, and I was able to introduce them to Harper, and Harper got a picture with all of them. And uh, they're, they're really sweet girls. Arguably his most acclaimed role came in 1999, playing Bob in Fight Club. Now, his character was suffering from cancer and got caught up in the violent underground movement. Just another iconic notch to add to Meat's extensive belt. I'm Dave Williams and this is Behind the Hits, looking back at the life and legacy of Meatloaf. We're about to delve into the decline of Meatloaf with vocal problems, legal battles and that AFL grand final performance. By 2003 and over 25 years in the industry, Meat released Couldn't Have Said It Better, another Jim Steinman free album. While promoting the record, he claimed that it was his best work since the original Bat Out of Hell but many people struggle to believe he could still be making quality music. In everybody's eyes, nothing could be as good as bad. It, you know, even though in my eyes it could, but in, in a public eye, nothing, anybody who loves bad out of hell, it, nothing could be as good as bad. And that's fair. That's how they feel about it, and I'm not going to argue with them. And it's completely different than Bat. Every album, people go, well, this sounds like a Meatloaf record. Well, that's good because I'm Meatloaf. What, do you want me to sound like James Brown? What, do you sound like the Eurythmics? Oh, well, I'll, I'll do Kylie Minogue. You'll really get off when I start doing Kylie Minogue stuff. Um, you know, um, the difference is every record is completely different. And any anybody who writes about it, who says that, oh, it, boy, it sounds like Meatloaf and it's like the... They don't get it because um, from they need to they need to go to scene study class. They need to understand what scenes they're listening to. They need to know what characters they're into because all the albums are completely different from how they're structured scene studies and what the characters are and what the characters' emotions are feeling because that's where it all starts. It's like I because I've had an acting coach for the last eight years. I went to my acting coach before I went in to do the vocals. And we broke down the the lyrics the same way I would break down a script this time. So I think this record, vocally, is far superior to any record I've ever done. Bottom line. The vocals on this record and the, the translation of the lyrics to the the tape or whatever and what the characters are doing and the strength of the characters that are in those songs... Uh, it's, it is, I think that, I think they're, whether the songs is superior to Bat, I don't know, but I think the vocals are superior to Bat. It was around this time, getting into his 50s, that Meat started saying he planned to retire from touring, citing vocal problems from having to perform his theatrical complicated songs each night. I'm tired. I can't, I, I can't. Because if you're Bruce Springsteen, you can go and play stadiums and he does two shows a week. Or if you're the Rolling Stones, you go out and you play weekends. But I don't do that. I play, you know, smaller venues, 10 to 15,000. So to maintain, you need four or five shows a week. And the way I attack my show, um, four or five shows a week is really hard. The ideal situation probably would be a show every other day. You could probably maintain, but I don't know. You don't, you wind up losing money. So what's the point in going? And um, 
So if I can't maintain the quality of five shows a week, which in my mind I can't, like th- three, four shows a week, the, the quality's there. And time I get to the fifth show, my voice is tired and I need two days off. And it's just not working. So I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna mentally suffer through that. And I don't want the fans to have to mentally suffer through that. So as far as doing a show every now and then, yeah, that's the possibility of that. But a world tour, no. Because when you go on a world tour, you do 150 shows. And I can't physically, I can't physically maintain it. My voice, I don't have a classical rock voice. I have a classical voice. And it's learned how to sing rock, which is totally against its nature. So it 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 doesn't hold up the same way that the that the pop voices does, because it's big and it's huge, just like opera singers. Opera singers, you go see Pavarotti uh, do, you know, an opera at Lincoln Center. You know how many times he's on in a month? Twice. So, and I have that kind of voice. And you just don't, you know, I don't have that rock voice. Rock voices seem to be able to hold up much better than I do. He toured Australia in 2004 playing Bat Out of Hell live with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and Meat at the time said he and Jim were about to reconnect to work on Bat Out of Hell 3. However, life and the courts had other plans. Steinman had a heart attack and while he said he was able to work on the project, Meatloaf told interviewers it was too intense for Jim to complete. Jim Steinman had trademarked the phrase Bat Out of Hell back in 1995, which meant Meat had to take him to court to use the title. However, Meat would later insist that the two men never sued each other. It was more of a, an issue with their respective managers. My heart never sued Jim, and Jim's heart never sued me, Meatloaf said in 2021. Steinman didn't want Bat 3 released, but in the end, he reached a settlement with Meatloaf. Whenever you get Bat Out of Hell 3, and if you're going to put a title Bat Out of Hell 3 on something, the minute this is the reaction, oh, Bat Out of Hell 3. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Can I don't think they can do it again. I don't, you know, well, if they do, it's just kind of going to be like the other one, you know. And, and we had two of those. And so, you know, how, what are they going to do? And now what we, what we did and what we went edgier, we went, I'm not going to say contemporary because I don't know what contemporary is. I have no concept of contemporary. But we went edgier and people hear it and they go, wow, wasn't expecting that. Oh, but that's definitely meatloaf, but wasn't expecting that. Bat 3 was instead produced by rock legend Desmond Child and Meat simply covered Jim Steinman's songs previously released on some of his other projects. The first single was It's All Coming Back to Me Now, Meat's version, coming 10 years after it was a hit for Celine Dion, but he didn't mind. Did you do his personal history with the epic song? First of all, I can explain to you that everybody thought I was completely out of my mind for wanting to record it. I, th- because they all looked at me and said, what? I said, yeah, no, we're going to record all kinds coming back to me now and it's a duet. And they all went, well, what do you mean? And I said, look, I've had this song for 20 years. I had this song before Celine Dion was born. <laughs> well, maybe not, but... But I had an emotional connection. Jimmy sent me that song in like 85 or 86. 
And I've had an emotional connection with that song and Jim Steinman because that song was really, when I heard it, was about Jim and myself getting back together for Bat 2. And it took six years after that. And that was the first song that he sent me for Bat 2. And when we got to Bat 2, he wrote Anything for Love, and he said, let's save it for Bat 3. So Jim Steinman says, save this song for Bat 3. Okay, that's exactly what I did. And that was the first piece of Bat 3 that we had was it's all coming back to me now. And people go, well, but Celine did it. And I said, I really don't care if Celine did it. I really am not interested in that she did it. I'm glad, that's fine. People enjoyed it. That has nothing to do with the reality that I live in. Bat 3 was a success. Top 10 all around the world. But by 2007, Meatloaf was telling audiences he was planning to stop touring. And in 2011, touring another Steinman free album, Hell in a Handbasket, Meatloaf made all the wrong kind of headlines during what would be his final trip down under. Reportedly paid over $600,000 to sing at the AFL Grand Final, his 12-minute medley was crucified by viewers, saying it was the worst performance by a musician in the sporting event's history. Some said he sounded like a wounded animal yelping in pain. Meatloaf, who was on tour in Australia at the time, ignored the criticism, saying people on social media sharing footage were nothing but butt sniffers. He continued to tease a fourth Bad Out of Hell album with Jim Steinman officially back on board, although the closest he got was the 2016 record Braver Than We Are, the final studio album released in his lifetime. Meat and Jim were communicating via email while Steinman's health was failing. He managed to supply two new songs for the record, with Meat once again covering previously recorded songs from other projects. The album did okay, but Meat was already looking to the future. He told fans he was working on an album where he'd record some unheard Steinman songs from the vaults, as well as some of the 1975 demos from Bat Out of Hell. In 2017, Jim Steinman finally got his dream project, a Bat Out of Hell musical, up and running. Not only did the stage show feature songs taken from all three Bat albums, but Steinman also got to pen the original story for the musical. It will eventually reach Australia in January 2023. Then sadly, on April 19, 2021, Jim Steinman passed away of kidney failure, aged 73, after years of battling his poor health in private. At the time, Meatloaf was heartbroken. He told Rolling Stone, We belonged heart and soul to each other. I don't want to die, but I may die this year because of Jim. His premonition foreshadowed what was to come as less than a year later. Meatloaf passed away, age 74. Meatloaf never shied away from Bad Out of Hell, not only revisiting the songs in every concert, but sticking to his movie roots and releasing multiple sequels. It's that larger-than-life character with the passionate vocals singing those industry-changing epic songs that have become timeless that Meatloaf will be remembered by. The key to life is this. Every day, you learn, you improve, and you learn how to love. And that's it. I'm Dave Williams. You've been listening to Behind the Hits. This episode was written by Cameron Adams, audio production by Mike Santos, produced by Tate McGregor. Listener.